You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is Saturday, the 8th of August, 2009. show I'm going to talk about the Thune Amendment. Now, as most of us know, the Thune Amendment did not pass. The Thune Amendment was brought to the Senate floor by South Dakota Senator John Thune. And in a nutshell, what it stated was that you would have concealed carry reciprocity uh, all across the country. And what this basically meant was that if your state had a concealed carry permit system, that you would honor every other state's permit system. So to further illustrate, it would be that as a person from Arizona, now Arizona has concealed carry, if I were to travel to Utah, and Utah has a concealed carry permitting system, uh, I could go there and I could carry my firearm concealed legally because I have a concealed carry permit from Arizona. Now it doesn't supersede any of the laws Uh, of Utah or any of the laws of any other state that I would travel to. So I would still be subject to their rules and regulations and restrictions that they have for their concealed carry. Now I watched and recorded the majority of the debates that were on C-SPAN. So I got to see uh, the people that supported the amendment and also got to see the people that didn't support the amendment. And you got to hear their arguments from both sides. And I want to go ahead and I'll play some clips and then I'll go ahead and talk about them. So what you're going to hear now is, and I didn't, I wasn't able to get all of, of the opening remarks. I actually came into the program a little late. But this is some of Senator Thune's opening remarks, so I'll go ahead and play them. And he does bring up some really good points. In fact, researchers have estimated that there are as many as two and a half million defensive uses of firearms in the United States each year, though a lot of those go unreported because no shots are ever fired. There are lots of examples, and I've got a a list of them here that I could go through anecdotally, too, and these are those that have been reported by the press, where actually the defensive use of uh, by a firearm, someone with a concealed carry permit, has actually helped prevent crimes. There are countless examples of those that have been documented and reported by the press, not to mention, as I said, the estimated 2.5 million defensive uses of firearms in the United States each year. Now, there are estimated to be about 5 million concealed carry permit holders in the United States today. Assuming that every instance reported by gun control groups of improper firearm use by individuals with a concealed carry permit is true, something that can be debated, but assuming it is true, over an entire year, for every 142,857 permit holders, there would be one, one improper use of a firearm. Now, to put it another way, concealed carry permit holders would be 15 times less, 15 times less likely than the rest of the public to commit murder. Now, there are some some states who have, uh, in some large states, frankly, who have issued concealed carry permits, and probably the most, uh, the, one of the largest states is the state of Florida. Uh, they've had a concealed carry permit law in effect in the state of Florida going back to 1987. 
And yet, if you look at the 1.57 million uh, concealed carry permits that are, that are already, uh, that people have in the state of Florida, there have only been 167 of those revoked. That's less than one-tenth of one percent. In night, as of 2008, Utah, which allows both residents and non-residents to acquire concealed carry permits, they had 134,398 active concealed handgun permits. Over the past year, they've had 12 revocations, uh, or 0.009 percent, because of some type of violent crime. But none of those crimes, incidentally, Mr. President, involved the use of a gun. During the 1990s and, and uh, through the decade of the 2000s so far, independent researchers have found 11 cases where a permit holder committed murder with a gun. And so I would simply point out to my colleagues, uh, Mr. President, that the points that are being made by the senator from Illinois, they are largely speculative. He brings up a lot of the points and gives a lot of the statistics that we usually give. But I think that the most telling one is, is that as a group uh, or as a culture, the person who has a concealed carry permit is 15 times less likely to commit murder with a firearm. When you look at the opposite sides, that a lot of times is what they're talking about, is that if you have a concealed carry permit that you're somehow going to go into a school or a church um, or a mall and just shoot up the place um, solely because you have the permit, I guess. Uh, and again, when you, look at the, when you look at the data, it shows something completely different. And it shows, in fact, it shows the exact opposite. Uh, and that's something that the majority of us know uh, but it's nice to have actually somebody on the Senate floor saying this stuff. Uh, and this is on the issue of states' rights. The legislation would do nothing less than take state and local gun laws and tear them up. It's wrong for the federal government to overrule a state's ability to enact reasonable constitutional gun laws. The uh, Thune Amendment is an outright violation of states' rights. And I believe it completely undermines the rights of state government. Let us make no mistake, this amendment is a blatant infringement on state rights. And this debate isn't about the right to own a gun. That has been settled by the Supreme Court in the Heller case. It's about allowing our own states to determine our own laws. Now what's ironic about this, and I'm sure isn't lost on most people, is you have these senators that are decrying the amendment. They're saying that they're going to lose state sovereignty, uh, that the federal government is not going to allow the states to be run as they see fit. And pretty much every senator that opposed the amendment gave that same argument. Even though they knew that, according to the amendment, that, like I had mentioned before, if somebody comes in from out of state, they still have to comply with those state laws. Now, the way that the debate actually went on television was you would have somebody who was pro and then somebody who was against the amendment, and they would go back and forth. And each time one of the senators would bring up the uh, position that this was going to uh, take away states' rights, when it was the pro-people side, they would come up and say, no, this doesn't take away state rights. 
people still have to follow the rules and regulations of individual states. It just allows somebody from, again, Arizona to be able to go to California and be armed. Um, they also gave just, and several of them also gave of the, uh, the people that were anti-amendment, um, they gave the examples over and over that this would allow people to bring backpacks full of loaded guns or suitcases full of loaded guns into schoolyards and I guess just open them up and start handing them out. And again, this point would be countered and they would say no. That's If you're doing that, number one, you're going to be trafficking, which is a federal offense. If you're going on to schools, if it's against state law, you can't do it just because you have a permit doesn't give you free reign. And that's what they were trying to insinuate, uh, the people that were opposed to the amendment, that if you have a uh, concealed carry permit from Utah, that basically you would be able to go into California or you would be able to go into um, Massachusetts or, uh, or New York and you would be able to totally ignore every gun law so that in their view that concealed carry permit basically gave you free reign you were subject to no laws um, because if you did anything wrong if you did anything illegal so that if you robbed a bank if you went and handed out guns at school if you uh, brought in 500 guns and just uh, again handed them out to people or sold them to felons well if you were caught doing that nobody can do anything to you because you've got your concealed carry permit you've got that uh, get out of jail free card by having that permit so again we see over and over that they're just trying to appeal to emotions um, the facts that they give are suspect what I found interesting is a lot of times they would give examples of specific people and then Senator Thune or another senator would come back on and say, well, you said he had a concealed carry permit, but he didn't. Or uh, you said that he uh, was involved in a homicide, but the reality is, yeah, he had a concealed carry permit, but it was a, a justified self-defense shooting. So, again, you have to be real careful about what these guys say, how they say it. Um, and I know that I'm only going to be playing, excuse me, uh, snippets of the speeches that these guys have made and I would suggest that if it's I'm not sure where you would find it to, to be able to watch the whole thing but I do think that you should go back and try and watch the whole thing so that you can see everything in context. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and play a few more remarks from Schumer and then I'll come back and comment about those. Our neighboring state of Vermont, it's a beautiful state, I have great respect for it, and its two senators, is a rural state. It, is, it has a strong libertarian belief, and it has a very lenient concealed carry law. The Vermont law says that if you're 16 years of age, you can apply for a gun license and you automatically get a concealed carry permit and you get the gun. You simply have to, all that's all you have to do. Can you imagine if this law passed what would happen? Known gun runners 
would go to Vermont, get a gun license, get a concealed carry permit, and they could bring 20, 30, 50 guns concealed in a backpack, in a suitcase, and bring them and sell them on the streets of the South Bronx or Central Brooklyn, bring them to Central Park or Queens, and our local police would have their hands tied. Okay, now let's try to get an answer from someone who's not a complete retard. So I'm not even sure where to begin with all the stuff that he said that was wrong. First, he talked about in Vermont that you can go and get a license for a gun once you're 16. Now, the part about being 16 and being able to own a gun, according to uh, the Attorney General's of Vermont's website, was true. I couldn't find anything that said you needed to get a license or any type of identification uh like an FOID card that they have uh, in some states, or I think it's in Illinois where they have that. Um, but he says that you could go and get a license, and then you're automatically given a permit to conceal. Well, first of all, again, Vermont has no permit system. If you want to carry open or concealed, you can do it. Um, and then what he said is something that, the very first time I heard it, I didn't really catch it, but he says that known gun runners would go to Vermont, get the license, which is, they don't have, and then get the concealed carry permit, which they don't have, and then would be able to bring backpacks and suitcases full of guns back to New York and would be able to sell them in the park or at schools or in the Bronx or wherever. But the question I have about it is when he said they're known gun runners. So if they're known gun runners, why wouldn't you just arrest them? Because if, if they're running guns, they're committing federal crimes. Um, also, he said that, the, the again, the, the these known gun runners would be able to come to New York and sell all these guns illegally and the police would be powerless. They couldn't do anything. So he's equating the permit basically with, I, I, I guess, what I can only describe in his mind, or I guess I, what I should rightly say is what the impression he wants to leave is that the permit basically makes you above the law. And, and that's what he's trying to get across. Now, if you thought his previous stuff was good, just wait till you hear this. When a police officer stops someone in a car, they now have the safety and sanctity of mind to know that if that person has a gun in their car, it has been approved by the New York City Police Department. There are people who need guns to carry guns for self-defense or other purposes. After this law passes, they have no such peace of mind, no such safety. So according to him, if the police stop somebody and they find that that person has a gun in their car, they're not going to be worried because they automatically know that that person uh, has been approved by the police department to have a gun. Anyway, 
this guy is, is just full of gems. And I save the best for last. I understand in my state of New York that guns are a way of life in large parts of the state. And I respect that. The Heller decision is a decision that I welcomed. I talked about the right to bear arms in the Constitution. I believed in it even before Heller. Thank you, aging hippie liberal douche. Now, this is another thing that even the other, one of the other senators from New York uh, has made sort of the same claims, and that would be Kirsten Gillibrand, something like that. I'm not sure if that's exactly how you pronounce it, but, you know, they're all saying, uh, and, and several other senators said the same thing, you know, they respect the Second Amendment, and they, um, they totally agree with the Heller decision and they welcomed it and it just fell right in line with what they thought. Uh, so I'll just do like a quick thing of her. I strongly believe in our Constitution and the Second Amendment and Americans' right to defend themselves. You just made a huge withdrawal at the First Bank of Lies. So let's take a jump back and talk a little bit about some of the remarks that Schumer made about Vermont. What he said was that Vermont has a uh, very rural population. It's a rural state. It's very libertarian in its leanings. And they have uh, very lenient concealed carry laws. So on the surface, if we look at that statement, it doesn't really seem like it's that big of a deal. But what he's really saying is, is that Vermont is populated with a bunch of rubes and hicks who have an oddball and antiquated and perhaps quaint political philosophy and that they don't really understand how to craft proper gun laws that is safe that makes their population safe now believe me he he didn't come out and say that and he would deny that that's what he meant if somebody ever uh, kind of called him to the carpet on it. But that's what he believes. And that's what a lot of the senators and a lot of those people, um, especially the, it seems like if they're anti-gun and they want more government, they want bigger government, they seem to feel that anybody who wants smaller government, be they Republican, Libertarian, Independent, that you just don't know. You're, you don't understand the reality of the situation. That you lack sophistication and you have a childlike understanding of uh, what is best for the country. So if you want to know how these guys think or what they think of you, listen to their speeches, look at what they're saying, and more importantly, look at what they're not saying. And look at how they talk to different groups. So let's go back a little bit and let's talk about why do all these people who clearly are anti-gun and have voted anti-gun in the past uh, and have consistent records of doing that, why are they suddenly saying things like, well, I believe in the Second Amendment and I thought the Heller decision was the right decision. I believe that the Second Amendment is an individual right. 
Because the truth of the matter is, and we all know, that if they really did believe in the Second Amendment, they wouldn't be anti-gun. They wouldn't vote against gun ownership. They wouldn't vote against concealed carry. They wouldn't vote for bans of certain firearms. So a lot of times their, their words just ring very hollow. And I guess the only good side or the good thing that we can look at from them, from the anti-gun people saying these things is that they have received a message from us. Um, and it may not have come from all of us writing in or, or doing things of that nature, contacting them. Uh, doing protests, uh, activist-type things. I think that the loudest message that these guys got and the loudest message that they received was the one that was with done through the pocketbooks. And what I mean by that is gun ownership has soared since Obama has come into office. You still have a hard time, at least in my area, you still have a hard time finding ammunition the way in bulk, the, uh, the way we used to have it. You know, I, I used to could, could go to Walmart, I could go to you know, a Dick's Sporting Goods store, I could go to uh, Cabela's or Bass Pro Shop, and there would be tons of ammunition there. Uh, tons of 9mm, you know, nine 38, 357, 45, all that stuff was there. All the rifle ammunition was there. In fact, a lot of times they were having to do sales to try and move the stuff. All the reloading components were there. Well, now all that stuff is gone, and it's slowly starting to trickle back. Out here, you can easily find uh, 223, um, 556, you can find 762 by 39 which are all the, the rifle calibers and stuff. So, However, out here in Arizona, it's, it's starting to make a little bit of a turnaround on the pistol ammunition. But you're very hard pressed to find in large amounts nine millimeter, um, the three you know three eighty, thirty eight, fifty seven, forty caliber, forty five. Um, it seems things like forty four special and forty four magnum are always around. But I think again, those guns and those calibers aren't near as popular as they used to be. So there is an end in sight to the ammo drought. I would say probably within the next six months, um, you'll be able to find pretty much whatever you want again. Within the next year, uh, this time next year, things will be back to normal. You'll be able to go into uh, just about any retailer that sells ammunition and they're going to have what you want. Um, people can only stockpile so much and they can only spend so much money on ammunition. There comes a, a tipping point, even for the guy that wants to have lots and lots and lots of ammunition. You know, you can only sort of justify or store so much of it. Uh, but anyway, oh, kind of got off on a little bit of a tangent there. But all that stuff that I was talking about, all that money that's being spent, those politicians and the anti-gun people recognize that even in these hard times, lots and lots of people are putting a priority on getting a firearm and getting ammunition. Now, this isn't lost on the politicians. With the economy being such a front-running issue, believe me, these people, whether they're anti-gun or not, understand that the firearms industry, and uh, by association, ammunition, and, and reloading industries as well, 
these these industries are having a hard uh, are, are very hard pressed just to keep up with demand and that stuff is not lost on those guys and so they understand that as more and more people start to own guns more and more people are going to have the mindset of well you want to take this away from me or you want to ban this but I haven't done anything wrong with it and just because I own a gun now doesn't mean that I'm suddenly going to go out and give up all the values and beliefs that I had before. I'm not going to suddenly go out and start to rob people or go on uh, killing sprees across the country. Now what these guys have come to realize is that while they may be anti-gun, the message has been driven home to them on the probably most convincing level, and that is what are people willing, willing excuse me, to spend their money on? And they're willing to spend their money on guns and ammo. And they can't just say, oh, it's, you know, these uh, 1% of the country that uh, is driving all this stuff, is driving this, this huge industry, is making all this money for the gun manufacturers and ammo manufacturers and uh, a lot of the um, satellite uh, businesses and industries. And so that message says, look, the majority of Americans want to own firearms. The majority of Americans don't see anything wrong with owning a firearm. And the majority of Americans understand that firearms are not the cause of problems. It's the, it's the people that make horrible choices and decide to go outside of of not only our laws but basically just what we would consider in any society on the planet to be wrong behavior. So I think we can take some uh, solace or comfort in the fact that at least for now the message has been sent loud and clear to a lot of these our elected officials. Now of course this doesn't mean that we can relax or be less vigilant. We still have to contact them on all the issues that are important to us. We also have to let them know that we're watching them and that we're aware of past voting records. And by doing that, we send them a message that, you know, you're going to be held accountable for how you vote. Now, getting back on another track about the states' rights thing. You know, all the anti-gun people are crowing about states' rights. You can't trample on states' rights. It's wrong to have California be told what to do by Arizona. It's wrong to have New York have to be told what to do by South Dakota. However, every single one of those people who made that states' rights argument were in favor and voted for the assault weapons ban, which, by its very nature, completely tramples and crushed states' rights. Because it was a federal ban. And all those people who now are crying for states' rights were in favor of California telling Arizona what to do. They were in favor of New York telling South Dakota what to do. So don't tell me that any one of those people has any concern or gives a damn about states' rights. Because they clearly, they don't. 
They only care about states' rights when it may affect them and when they are going to have to be told, look, you got to get in line with the rest of the country. Then they don't want to do it. But they clearly have no problem with sending out edicts from New York or California and saying this is how it should be for the rest of the country. I'm going to go ahead and close out this segment by playing in its entirety the speech that was given by Oklahoma Senator Tom Coburn. And in it, he says a lot of the things that, uh, that I think a lot of us would agree with and uh, voices the opinion that a lot of us have. The one thing that he did say that I caught that was a little off, um, he said that it is illegal for anyone to own a Newsie, which of course is not true. And what he may have been talking about was that in certain states it, it would be illegal. However, uh, in my state of Arizona and several other states, you can own a machine gun, a fully automatic weapon. Uh, you just have to fill out the proper paperwork and pay the proper uh, tax stamp to uh, alcohol, tobacco, firearms, and explosives. So without further ado, here is Senator Coburn, and again, he is from Oklahoma. I think a little bit of history is really important for us now. Let, let me give you a quote of what Thomas Jefferson had to say. Uh, and, and it's important for us to hear him. Uh, we recognize his wisdom in lots of what he did for us as one of the founders of this country. And here's what he said about guns. Gun control laws disarm only those who are neither inclined nor determined to commit crimes. Such laws only make worse for the assaulted and better for the assailants. They serve rather to encourage rather than to prevent homicides, for an unarmed man may be attacked with greater confidence than an armed man. Now granted, that was in a different day and a different time, but his words ring true. To those who are opposing this amendment, who truly believe we ought to have a total ban on firearms in this country, I recognize that as a legitimate position for some of those people. But what I find both disingenuous and also curious and funny at the same time is the number of my colleagues who now come to the floor to state to preserve states' rights when 95% of their votes in the last Congress and this Congress and the Congresses that preceded that voted to take away those very same states' rights in every other area of freedom in this country. The Second Amendment, we just had a hearing on a Supreme Court justice. And she got it wrong on the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is written into our Constitution in the Bill of Rights. The 14th Amendment, and it's important, a history lesson here, why was the 14th Amendment even brought up to Congress? The historical debate shows that after, during Reconstruction, freed black slaves were losing their right to own a gun simply because they were black, simply because they were freed slaves. And many southern states passed laws taking away those. The due process of the 14th Amendment came about 
so that we can preserve the right of individuals to own arms and defend themselves. What I find ludicrous in the debate is any discussion of assault weapons ban or assault weapons. First of all, you can't conceal one. That's number one. Number two is we had the senator from New Jersey mention a Uzi. It's illegal to own a Uzi in this country. So you're already a criminal. You're already a felon. You're already one of those individuals Jefferson was talking about when you claim to say that we're going to step all over state law. You know, we had a vote in terms of honoring states' rights in terms of the National Park Bill on guns. 29 of my colleagues, 13 of which now are defending states' rights, stepped all over states' rights with their vote against the Coburn Amendment when it came to allowing people to have supreme their state law in terms of national parks. So nobody comes to the floor purist. But I will tell you that the vast majority of people who are debating against this on the fundamental principle of stepping on states' rights have a voting record that 98% of the time they don't care about states' rights. They care about the federal government. And I have an offer. Any member who wishes to vote against this bill, this amendment, if you will all endorse the Enumerated Powers Act and see that we pass it through Congress, then you can demonstrate your fidelity to the Tenth Amendment. Except nary a one of those who are opposing this amendment has endorsed the Enumerated Powers Act in this Congress or the last Congress. So the, the arguments ring hollow when we talk about the Tenth Amendment because the actions, the true action, would be to recognize the limited powers of the federal government to enforce the Tenth Amendment, and we wouldn't be having this debate at all. But we, states' rights are convenient only when it comes to something we don't like. They're rarely utilized to truly defend states' rights. The final point that I'll make is that you have to follow the laws of the state that you're in. That's respecting states' rights. For every incident and tragedy of somebody who had a concealed carry permit, we can give you 10,000 tragedies of those where gun control allowed the criminals to have guns, but the innocents not. So I hope the American people will look at this debate and say, number one, there's a fundamental right in this country, which the Supreme Court will get right in this next session, that is guaranteed to us as part of our liberty. It was inculcated, inculcated into everything that our founders did. Knowing it to be true, it was written into our Constitution. And many of the rights that we have today that we cling to so dearly were never even considered by our founders, but have come about as a result 
of what the judicial branch has said. So if you're going to use states' rights as a position to defend your vote against this bill, what I would suggest is that your constituencies look at all your other votes on states' rights and see if there isn't some real big dissonance with that position, because you will find it in every case. And with that, I yield the floor. So as we can see, he makes a lot of very valid points. Again, and I think one of the most important things that he talks about is, you know, go back, look at people's records. And I would say look at a lot of these blue dog Democrats and, again, the Republicans that are supposedly now pro-gun. Go back, look at them, look at their record, uh, and see what they voted for. Have they, have they always been you know, pro-gun, pro-Second Amendment? Or have they voted to restrict rights and restrict freedoms and to add to the bureaucracy instead of trying to reduce it? All right, let's go ahead and take a little bit of a musical break, and when we get back, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. let's do a little bit of housekeeping. First, let's do my contact info. If you'd like to contact me, 
the easiest way to do so would be to send me an email or an mp3 at firearmscafe at gmail.com or you can also contact me over at the forums at Gun Rights Radio Network. Now, as some of you guys who frequent the forums know, we did have a few problems with the server. Uh, Mark had said that they, I guess, were using too many resources. Um, it wasn't that we had too much traffic going to the to the forums. I'm not exactly the most tech-savvy guy, so a lot of that stuff is beyond me. He was saying, however, that one of the solutions to that, and probably something that eventually will have to be done anyway, is that we may need to have our own dedicated server so that uh, I don't know if that would give us unlimited resources or if we could manage them better. Um, however, to do that is a little bit of an expensive option. Um, and so we're asking if you'd like to support uh, the, the network, if you could do a subscription, maybe a yearly subscription, which would be um, $24 a year. Uh, then we would able be able, excuse me, to get our own server, and uh, we would be able to um, prevent a lot of the future problems. Prevent problems of you know when you would go over to the forums, uh, you wouldn't get those messages, and, and the forums wouldn't go down. So if you would like to subscribe, now's a good time to do so because uh, they're we're giving away a laptop. It's a Dell. Um, it's got a 320 gigabyte hard drive. It's got Vista. It's running on Vista. It's got a three gigabyte memory. It's valued at around $500. So, and if you say, "Well, I don't know how to do that," if you go over to the forums uh, and go under the announcement section, you'll uh, see in there uh, a thing that says the laptop giveaway, and you can go to that, and it will tell you exactly what you need to do. Um, basically, if you uh, once you get uh, signed up as a subscriber, you'll send your info to Mark, and there's instructions on how to do all that stuff, and that will enter you into the contest, and you and you'll be all squared away. Now, if you say, "Well, wait a minute, I'm already a subscriber. Am I entered?" Well, what you'll need to do is make um, a donation, and uh, of I think at least twenty-four dollars. And again, all this stuff is over there, and you can be entered into the uh, entered into the contest and uh, you can just think of it as as uh, buying a raffle ticket for it so uh, to get a, a, a free laptop for $24 wouldn't be too bad so when everything is going to go to help the network and uh, uh, it'll help uh, the podcasters that Mark produces the show for uh, but mainly it'll help us keep the sites up and keep things like the forums up and running uh, so that we don't uh, have any problems in the future. The majority of my listeners are from the United States. However, I do have quite a few listeners from other countries, and I'd like to thank everybody, both from the U.S. and the other countries, uh, for downloading and subscribing and listening to the show. And I'd love to hear from you guys, so if you have a couple extra minutes, uh, go ahead and drop me an email. Again, that's at firearmscafe at gmail.com and let me know where you're from. Uh, again, both in the U.S. and from abroad. I'd also like to take this time to thank our men and women uh, in the armed services and uh, also like to thank uh, the men and women from some of the other uh, countries who are serving their country but are also helping 
uh, and making sacrifices to fight against terrorism and people that would want to not only destroy the American way of life, but the Canadian and British and French and German and uh, Swiss way of life. Uh, people that don't, that are fanatical, that don't uh, care about other people's rights and freedoms. So I want to thank you for fighting the good fight and for making the sacrifices that keep all of us safe. As far as other shows on the network, we have a ton of really good ones. So if you're looking for other pro-gun or pro-freedom podcasts, you can go over to gunrightsradio.com. You can find everybody there. Uh, I'm really happy that Alex Haddix from um, Personal Defense Podcast has decided to join the network and become part of the family. Uh, if you're not listening to his show, if you listen to mine, I would advise you to go over there and listen to him. I really uh, enjoy his show. He always brings up really good points. He's got a level head and gives uh, what I consider to be very good, solid, real-world advice um, that can help you out if you ever find yourself in type of a, in some type of a jam. Now, speaking of the other podcasts, we've got a bunch of them over there. There is uh, Armed Citizen Podcast with Mick McCart. We got my buddies, the Gun Dudes, which is Tom and Stan and Carl. The Gunfighter Cast with Daniel and Justin. Um, we've also got, uh, which is one I enjoy listening to a lot, is the Gun Review Podcast because that's done by you guys, the listeners, when you can do your own reviews. There's Mark's show, Gun Rights Advocate Podcast. Tyler uh, Junkie is doing the Gun Rights News, and so we've got that back up and going. Um, there's Gun Rights Radio Network, and that's kind of uh, hit and miss as far as a schedule. Um, the last few have been Doc and Mark when they'll do a little kind of roundtable type thing, get together. There's Handgun Podcast with Eric. Uh, again, like I said, there's Alex over at the Pac excuse me, Practical Defense Podcast. Uh, there's the Pro Arms Team. And that has John and Terry, Masad, uh, there's Steve and Herman, Chris, Mike, and uh, the podcasting princess, Gail Pepin. There's also the Gun Nation with Doc and the Urban Shooter with Ken Blanchard. I don't think I have forgotten anybody. Um, oh, a Militant Marksman with Sean Horton. And I think that does it. It looks like also, and this is something you'd know if you were going over to the forums... Um, that there is going to be a reloading podcast, and it's going to be called Reloading Radio. Um, that's in development. I'm not sure when that's going to go. Um, I'm looking forward to that because I'm actually pretty new to reloading, although lately I just it's, it's been hard to find uh, where I live out in, in uh, Arizona. It's been hard to find a lot of the components. What I've been able to find lately is um, all the kind of the stores of the powder, have come back but now of course every all the primer is gone all the primers are, are still gone and what i found for nine millimeter is it's hard just to even get the actual bullets so but uh, you know this too shall pass eventually like I, I think i'd mentioned earlier i think probably within six months uh, at the most we'll be able to see a lot of the components and everything will kind of get back up to the way that they were Stay safe, stay informed, and remember we'll save a place for you at our table at the Firearms Cafe. All music provided by Podsafe Audio and Mevio. Initiating shutdown sequence.